You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's Word, and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church. And while you're there, download our free Sound of Heaven mobile app. There's a digital Bible on there that you can keep in your pocket everywhere that you go, but also an online community. We do polls, we talk, we pray for one another on there. So it's a great way to stay connected. And if you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications so you don't miss anything as we continue through our Gospel of Matthew. I hope you're all having a great day today. Uh, We are getting through the Gospel of Matthew, and as promised, we're doing it bit by bit because it's uh, an important uh, chapter in the Bible. Uh, It is a, uh, a chapter that is often, I believe, misrepresented, maybe not purposefully, but uh, for a long time, people have really taken Matthew 24 and all of the language in there and really tried to apply it sometimes to things where it is misapplied. And the reason why I say that is that there are, as we have been studying, there are real historical ramifications or real historical events that we can point to. Okay, so let's just kind of recap how we got here in terms of Matthew 24, because it's important to note, as I've been saying, that we have to read the Bible continuously. And that's why I love what we're doing here, because we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, talking about what's happening in in that time. And from Matthew 23, right, they're in the temple. They're arguing with the Pharisees. You know, they're going back and forth. They walk away from the temple. Disciples point to the temple, okay? And when they point to the temple, Jesus mentions how not one stone is going to be left unturned, that that temple is coming down. And as we've already established, that happened in 70 AD, just about 40 years from this time. And what we're reading now is what's called the Olivet Discourse, okay? So it starts off with three questions because Jesus says, The temple's coming down, and obviously this kind of startles the disciples. And the disciples say, hey, first of all, when is this going to happen? When is the sign of your coming? And when is the end of the age? Okay, so we define the end of the age. The end of the age is not the end of a planet. It's not the end of all humanity, as it's positioned sometimes. That word is aeon. It's the end of aeon means age. End of a period of time. What period of time are we talking about? It's the old covenant. It's the old promise where God has a has a has a covenant with the world through one lineage, one bloodline. And we know if we read the the New Testament properly, that in this period we're seeing a transition. Jesus is transitioning from a temple type of worship of God to one where we are the temple. Okay, Uh, and then Jesus begins to answer the question of like, when are these things going to happen? And he calls them the birth pains. And he talks about wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and widespread persecution and false prophets rising up. Okay, a lot of times we're reading the newspaper. We're wanting to point that toward this. But let's just look at the immediate because Jesus is talking to people and telling them what he says make sure you are not deceived, okay? Obviously, he doesn't want us deceived. 
But the, imagine if you're sitting there with Jesus in the original audience, and he says, make sure you are not received, you look out for these things, and then you live through your whole life, and you die, and, you, and then maybe in, on your deathbed you say, wow, I was waiting for all those things that Jesus said was going to happen, and it didn't happen. Okay, um, but these things did happen. There were wars. There were famines. We went through this. And again, I can't rehash everything in just an opening. But what I suggest is if you're just listening today or just jumping in for the first time, go back a couple of episodes where we start the Olivet Discourse and we will break these things down. We then see Jesus say, hey, when you see this stuff, flee, right? Flee when you see what's called the abomination of desolation, when you see the temple being disgraced by what? Idols, armies, destruction. Again, all happened. And so, and then we read yesterday, he says, don't turn back for any reason, right? Don't turn back even if someone says, I am there. Or even if someone says, hey, the Messiah is out in the wilderness. Or hey, the Messiah is in the inner rooms of the temple. Again, language that really points to Areas that they were talking to, right? I'm sorry. Areas that they were in, right? You had the temple area, and then you had the wilderness around it. What, What did Jesus warn? When you see these things, flee to the mountains of Judea. I live in New York. It's going to take me a while to get to the mountains of Judea. Okay, I don't know if if you're close to the mountains of Judea, um, but... You know, not only can you, you're not just going to run there, you're going to have to get your passport, you're going to get a plane ticket, all this, you catch what I'm saying here, okay? So now we see, as we do at the at the end of what was our last teaching, we see Jesus's language shift a little bit, right? He says, as far as the east, basically as far as the east is from the west, or, or and the sun shines in the west, lightning comes from the east, He's giving this language of of imagery of events and signs in the sky. He says, so will be the quickness in which this will come, okay? So it's not that it will be sudden and and you never know. How could Jesus say that there was going to be signs and then bam, right? So He's saying, look out for all these things, because if you ignore them, then it's going to come on you quickly. But if you don't ignore them and you take a and you see these signs, you're going to be able to take the necessary precautions and flee Judea, Judea uh, to the mountains of Judea. Now, when I say you, again, I know you're going to throw tomatoes at me here. I sound like a, a broken record here. I just want to hit it home. You is them here. He's talking to them about what's around and going on around them or will be going on around them. So we see that shift where he's talking about lightning and flashing from the sky. And this is starting to go down the road of sounding almost like Old Testament prophet type. And there's a reason for that. And our sole focus today, because we're going to kind of tee up what we're going to study tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the coming in the clouds. Okay. I want to I want to set this up here by talking about a language genre. I hit on it a little bit yesterday, and we're going to dive deeper into it today. It is called apocalyptic language, okay? Apocalyptic language. Let's just go to our text for today. Again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24, 
starting with verse 29. We're just going to do 29 and 30 today. And then tomorrow we'll pick it up actually in 30. But this is going to be very helpful for us uh, in terms of understanding a lot, not only on, or at least identifying what we're reading. Okay. Let me just, even before I go into this, it's important to know what you're reading and, and the literary style. See, the Bible is 66 different books written by 40 authors over the span of 1600 years, but it's not something where every single aspect of it needs to be taken literally. There are some things like Song of Solomon, right? And Psalms that are songs, that are poems, right? And we have to identify that as such. There are other areas like in the book of Kings where there is real historical things going on. And it's important to read it this way because sometimes the Bible gives you uh, descriptions, right? Like, like when there's slavery and things like that. And then there's prescriptions, there's, hey, you should do this, right? It's important to be able to differentiate that stuff. The gospel are what? The writings of, of, uh, of the uh, apostles and, and the early church about Jesus' ministry, where the epistles are letters written by Paul, by Peter, by James. And when you read a letter, right, when Paul is writing Ephesians, he's not writing a book of Ephesians. We call it that. But it's a letter to an actual church in Ephesus. So we got to read it through there, okay? All right, let's get rolling. So apocalyptic language is an ancient language, uh, ancient Hebraic language, right? It's a form of Jewish literary genre that deals with revelations, particularly around the end times and the coming of God's kingdom, okay? This genre, it's characterized by highly symbolic metaphorical language, often involving dreams and visions. We see it in Jewish literature during the period of about 200 BC to 200 uh, AD, okay? Actually, maybe even you could even say a little bit before that. Where it, and we find it in Daniel, we find it in Zechariah, most of Revelation is complete apocalyptic language. And for the for time, well, no, I'll just say it, right? So the beginning of the book of Revelation is written to specific churches in Asia, right? Undeniable, right? He names the churches. Now, I know we want to try to fit those churches into different things, you know, or even I, I hear teachings, we fit those churches into different countries of this time. I just, I, I just think that's a real stretch of scripture itself to apply an actual church that was in Asia, like the church of Laodicea, right? Uh, and to try to apply it today. Again, we can pull revelation from it uh, as to what those churches were doing to kind of mess up and say, hey, you know, we're, we're kind of like the, you know, the church of Philadelphia right now, we're doing this. But when John is on the Isle of Patmos writing, he's not writing to you. Remember, the Bible is written for you, not to you. And that's a controversial statement sometimes, okay? So the book of Revelation, right? John's on the Isle of Patmos. He's in prison there, and he's writing a letter to churches. And because he's imprisoned, these letters have to go out, and they have to go through the hands of Romans. Otherwise, they're never going to make it. So what does he do? He writes in ancient apocalyptic metaphoric letters. 
language. I hope that clears up some things. I'm, I'm more than open to answering more questions around that. Don't want to get into Revelation because we're in Matthew 24 deeper. But I wanted to set the stage for this so that when we read this, we say, huh, okay, I can uh, I can see this here. So I'm going to read Matthew 24. We're, we're, I promise we're there now. 29 through 30. Now Jesus is talking about obviously all the stuff that's going on and how quickly it's going to come. And it says, immediately after the distress of those days... The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and heavenly bodies will be shaken. Okay, so we see this type of language even in the Old Covenant and from the Old Prophets. When Isaiah was talking about, in Isaiah chapter 13, when he was talking about the destruction that would come upon with Babylon, okay? He mentions, and this is Isaiah 13, verse 10, the stars in their constellations will not show light. The sun will be darkened. Same type of language. I also want to point this out because people tell me all the time, I, you know, I take the Bible literally. Okay, well, what does that mean? Can you take apocalyptic language literally let's read one part here it says the moon will not give its light okay something can block the moon i get it the stars will fall from the sky the stars will fall from the sky now i meant to look up how much bigger the sun is compared to earth but i think probably everybody within the sound of my voice understands that the sun is much much bigger than the earth Okay, and the sun is actually smaller than many of the stars that are in the sky. Okay, we know this. So multiple stars can't fall from the sky and hit Earth because one star, our star, the sun, if it were to collide with Earth, would swallow it up and not even pretty much know the difference as far as I know. So if this is literal... How can multiple stars fall from the sky? I'm just trying to hit home here that Jesus is using a language that shows imagery, okay? We see this continue. I'm just going to continue reading it. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, the trumpet, and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Tomorrow, we're going to cover this more. Tomorrow, we are going to talk about the coming in the clouds. But for today, what I want to do to continue to hit home our point before we wrap up today, okay, is to touch on this part. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky. I point us to a prophecy in Joel. Okay. The prophet Joel was around probably about, I believe it was like 400 years before Jesus. And he prophesies what will happen to Israel in the end times. Okay. Let's read. I'm going to read the whole chapter here. Blow the trumpet in Zion. There's that trumpet. 
Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. For the Lord of the, the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in the ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, the desert waste and nothing escapes them. So you see what's happening here. Joel is laying out. It says they have appearance of horses. They gallop along cavalry with a noise like chariots. They leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire, consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations in anguish, every face turns pale. Like charge, They charge like warriors. They scale walls like the soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. We'll finish it up here. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into houses like thieves, like a thief in the night. There you go. They enter through windows. Before them, the earth shakes and the heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. Does this sound familiar? The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? So Joel lays out this end times prophecy. So when was this going to happen? When is this supposed to happen? Well, I want to fast forward. I know next we're going to go into the book of Acts, but this is, this is where we're going to close, okay? Is we're going to read in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Pentecost is that amazing moment where those who were part of the early church, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus ascends, right? He, he goes away from their midst physically, right? His, he had appeared for some time, but then he goes. He gives them the Great Commission, and he goes. And they're waiting, and they're praying, and they're believing together. And all of a sudden, a mighty rushing wind comes in, and everybody is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that was the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus said. He said, I will send a helper. I must go, but I will send a helper. And that was the moment that, that the uh, Holy Spirit began to indwell permanently the believer, okay? But what happened? Those who were in the midst that didn't experience that, that just saw them speaking in different languages, said that they were drunk. And what does Peter say? We're going to read it now. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. This is Acts chapter 2, 14 through 21. He stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Hold on a second. He is saying that what they are witnessing right then and there is what the prophet Joel prophesied. Continue, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He talks about the, in the not only prophecy, but for all of you, hey, you know, 
Paul says women can't speak in church. Well, it says that sons and daughters will prophesy, okay? Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Verse 19, and I will show you wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon turned to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is telling everybody, we're not drunk, filled with the spirit. And this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. All language that lines up perfectly with what Jesus said would happen as they went toward the end of the age. I hope that makes sense to you today. I hope that makes sense. And that's where we close today. Tomorrow we will talk more about what it means to apply the apocalyptic language to what Jesus is saying. We hear the terms coming in the clouds, okay? We will look deeper into what that means. But this whole exercise, I've said it every day, is I want you to be filled with hope. That is not the destination of us. For God to end all of humanity, for God to end this planet as it's so often taught, but to help us to realize first in that generation to fully transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, but so that we, and I believe even based upon the feedback that I'm getting from this study, that some of you are getting it, that we operate in the fullness of the victory. That is the new covenant through Jesus Christ. That we don't have to look at the world and say these things must happen. We don't have to look at the world and say that it's helpless. No, 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 no. God fulfills his promises. And we are walking in the promise of victory. So tomorrow we're going to talk about some glory. We're going to talk about the coming in the clouds. And then we may get to it tomorrow. We may wait another day. But we're going to talk about a time statement that pretty much is a game changer in the way of eschatology, in the way of studying out the end of the age. But I need you to go into today knowing that your future is not one of destruction. It's one of victory. It's one of a fulfilled promise by Jesus that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, that you are made with a plan and a purpose to impact this generation, not just to watch stuff unfold, but to be a major part of spreading his kingdom on this earth. Amen. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio, Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out, soh.church. You're listening to The 1% Christian. A hundred starts with one. Go out and do something amazing for Christ's sake today. I love you guys. Have an awesome, awesome day.